We'll be in the latter part of chapter 4 and be covering the first few verses of chapter 5 this morning. Sort of a structural note, um, you'll notice that this is um, one of several therefores, and that has kind of been um, just sort of when you come across that, and this started back in chapter 4, so, you know, I therefore, prisoner, prisoner, of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. Typically, when we see that, therefore, it, it, it's Paul saying, okay, in light of everything that I've just said to you, now this. And as we get into this half of the book, you'll notice that there are several of these. There's, there's one in chapter 4, verse 1, as, we just, as I just read, and there's one in verse 17. Therefore, and it talks about putting on the new self and the old self. Verse 25, where we will pick up today. And then again in chapter 5, and that chapter 5, verse 1, calling us to be imitators, is really a fulcrum that we'll swing on both today and next Sunday and as we head into the rest of the book where all this is leading. So just a little bit about the structure um, and when we see that word, therefore. So let's, let's give our attention to the reading of God's word found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and trying to hold together all the things that Paul has told us, and now here we hear more of the implications of those things. So beginning in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, as we hear your word being read and as, as it goes out, would you, would you be kind again? Would you open our eyes and our ears that we may see and hear things otherwise we could not, that by your spirit and the work of your spirit in our lives that you would condition our heart to receive it, such as good soil and such as the seed goes into that good soil and produces a fruit, would you change our hearts to receive your word that would produce a fruit in us that we would leave here changed people. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, well, this morning, we're, we're essentially gonna talk about resources. And by that, I mean that we have, Christians have, you have um, all of the resources, all of the things that you need in order to, what? Imitate God. In order to live uh, in this new way that Paul is talking about, putting off the old, putting on the new. 
All right, you have those resources. Now, I, I, I even said this to a friend last night. I wasn't even going to share this. Um, wasn't going to talk about this, but I'm changing my mind. Um, I just feel like it fits. When I, when I talk about resources, when I talk about us having these resources, it would be uh, just as simple as talking about perhaps maybe a balloon that was flying over our country. Just pick a balloon. Any balloon will do. And, and, and you know, at no given time, and of course we all know what happened to a balloon over South Carolina, at no given time, as, as curious and as strange as this all has become, at least for me, was there any worry that we couldn't handle this as the United States of America? Um, uh, historically, largest military presence, um, technology beyond anything that any human being has ever seen. I was never concerned that we weren't going to be able to put an end to this balloon, should we choose. And perhaps maybe you felt the same as well. And, and of course, over Myrtle Beach, apparently, where all things come to die, that thing came down and, sorry. Great, either that or Panama City, which I love both those places, like, that's where it came to rest. At no time did you think that America did not have the resources to handle this, okay? And, and, and if that, that works for you, then great. The same is true for you as a Christian, right? Whatever God's calling us to, which we're going to look at in this passage, and, and in some ways it's very mundane, after everything that Paul's told us about how we've been saved in Christ, everything he's calling us to, everything that Christians are becoming because of this new self, that, of this new identity that they have in Christ, you have the resources for it, right? There isn't any secret knowledge. We're not Gnostics. There isn't any sort of a conference to go to where you're, then you're really going to figure out how to live as a Christian. No, you have it, and you have it by virtue of your new identity, by being in Christ, you have the resources. The question becomes for us is, are we making use of that resource that we have? And, and that's, I don't even like the way that sounds. I think it's more of being reminded of who we are in Christ that gives us the motivation and the power to move into this new space, this new calling, this new identity of who we are. And, and before I go even further, it, it, it's not a calling to be perfect, although we are to be holy because our Father is holy. The Holy Spirit is working that in us. And you won't be holy until you go to be with Jesus or he returns. So where we work this out in this timeline of waiting for Christ to return, this is not a call for perfection. Right? This is a call for faithfulness, to move into the new clothes that you already have, that Christ has given you by virtue of you being in him. Okay? So I think it's important to say that before we move on. But you have the resources, and those resources are found in chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God, what, as beloved children. Said it earlier at the beginning of the service, as those already forgiven. That's our starting point, right? It is the grammar of the gospel all over again. Paul has talked about who you are in Christ, now this is what you do. And this is why if we don't get this grammar right, if we, we put the cart before the horse, then in the gospel just becomes bitter. It's not sweet anymore. It becomes religion. It becomes duty, right? But for Paul, all this flows out of the gospel, out of the knowledge of who God is and what he's done for you. So with that, I want us to look at, I'm gonna have my timer set, um, these characteristics that are here. And I am just struggling this morning because there's, when you get into practical stuff, when you get into application, there's so much to say so if I just decide to cut this thing and you're like, wait, I want to get to this verse, come talk, let's, let's figure out a time to go talk about that. I know our officers would love to talk about that. 
But it's one of the joys of this part of the book because we do get to get into some of the practicalities after hearing all of this wonderful, rich theology that is true of us. So um, let's, let's begin. There's, there's really about five characteristics here. I'm going to just spend time with four if we even have time for that. So as we begin this, um, a couple of things here that Paul does here is you'll notice in this section between 25 and, and 30, Paul uses this formula of don't do this, but do this, right? Don't do this, but do this for the most part. And as he talks about um, the old self, putting off the old self and putting on the new self, you know, don't be angry, uh, uh, you know, but, you know, don't, or be angry, but don't sin, right? Don't be, don't speak falsely, don't lie, but, but do, do say words that are true, one of the things he's doing here is he's telling us, is, as Christians, it is not enough for you just to stop lying. It's not enough for you just to, to not be, uh, you know, angry in a sinful way, as we'll look at. It's not enough for you um, to just sort of stop stealing. No, no, no. It's put off, but it's put on this other thing. Okay? So that's his formula. And so if we're just sort of thinking like, man, I need, to, I need to stop doing this, that might be part of the equation for us this morning as his children, but it's also put on. Why? Because that is who you are in Christ. Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way, putting away the old lifestyle is not the same as growing more like Christ. Let me say that again. Putting away the old lifestyle is not the same as growing more like Christ. For that, we must put on the lifestyle of the new age, the dispositions produced in us by the Spirit. Without that positive counterpart, our sanctification, he says, will have a metallic ring and express itself in a brittle and unattractive life. All right, that's the first thing before we get into the second. All of these new self-characteristics, as you'll notice too, are relational. They are relational, which means they involve others. It, they, they all are about how you and I are relating together as the body of Christ, okay? So they're all relational, you'll note that. Um, and part of this for Paul is how we relate to others in the body of Christ is one of the most tangible indicators uh, of, of, of how the gospel is being made real in us, okay? And that's a grace, that's not a, a judgment, right? So when I'm not being kind to somebody, right, that's typically a gospel issue that I've, I've got to figure out, okay, where is this not happening in my life, right? If I'm, if, I'm, if I'm finding myself lying or misrepresenting myself, there's something where the gospel's not taking root of, of, of my desire to want favor and, and, and respect for maybe somebody else. So I'm gonna, you know, as we'll see, I, I, may, I may distort things about myself. So for Paul, these are tangible indicators of how the gospel is getting worked into our lives. So let's hear them as that. But they're all characteristics that deal with one another. Um, as Ada uh, shared with me recently, we were talking, uh, you can be a, a non-Christian who loves others, right? You can be a non-Christian who loves others, but you cannot be a Christian and not love others. That essentially sums up everything that Paul is talking about here, right? So you can be a non-Christian, but you can have love for others in and, and, and certain ways, and you can serve them, and you can care for them, right? But for Christians... You can't be a Christian and not love others. It is impossible. 
And in that way, it becomes an indicator for how the gospel is getting worked into us. And this is why community is so important. So that I can know from you telling me, hey, Ryan, when you said this, this hurt, or this didn't, you know, whatever it might be, or, or this anger issue that's starting to come up in you, right? The only way that I'm knowing that that is happening in my life is if you're coming to tell me, but what does that help me do? It helps me understand, okay, where is the gospel being made true in the midst of this? Where am I forgetting the promises of God that are leading me into these places? Okay, so those are the sort of the two qualifiers before we head into this. Um, there's that pattern of old self, new self, right? And then it's all these characteristics are relational. So let's look at the first one. Truthful speech replaces lying and falsehood. Verse 25, therefore putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. All right, the word lie here or lying here is the Greek word pseudos. And it simply means any conscience or intentional falsehood or whatever is not what it seems. So very broad. Now, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, as we start here, you might think, really, Paul? <laughs> um, you know, got this robust theology in chapters one, two, and three, and, and now we're ready for the practical stuff, this new stuff, and all of a sudden you're gonna tell us to stop lying? Didn't we cover that in the, the Ten Commandments? And, you know, the truth is, yes, uh, God did cover this in the Ten Commandments, but guess what? Doesn't mean we listen, or doesn't mean that Christians don't lie. And just for the sake of saying it, Christians, whether you're aware of this or not, still lie. Um, I had a friend of mine, went to seminary, seminary with him. He is still a pastor today. It's one of the greatest stories about this ever. Um, he, and I've shared this with a few folks in here because they are friends with this professor and this professor would have new seminary students over to his house to have lunch with them to get to know the, get to know the, the students. And my friend and another one of our friends is standing there talking to the professor and the professor starts to sort of say some kind things to my friend like, you know, where are you from and where'd you go to college? And that, that wound up talking about football and, and the professor said something along the lines like, well, you look athletic. I bet you played football. And my friend said, yep, I did. I played wide receiver. My friend has never put on football pads, helmet, nothing. He might have played flag football. And our mutual friend is standing hearing this and knows this and can't really believe what he just heard. Full-blown lie to the professor. But he hits the gas. He doesn't back up at this point. He goes on to talk about a record maybe, I think even his own number. And <laughs> we can laugh about this now because he did go back to him and say, you know, I'm sorry about this. I totally lied to you. But here's what's interesting. And again, this is a pastor in our denomination. So, you know, this still happens. He says this uh, about that moment. He says, I have no idea why I said those things. He said, the words just came out. And once they came out, I knew it would be too embarrassing for me to stop the lie and admit that it never happened. So I continued and the lie grew. When Paul says that we must put away lying and speak the truth, he knows how easy it is for people to lie or to misrepresent themselves to one another. Like my friend here, right? It is actually caring way too much about making a good first impression, which is true for my friend, right? It's caring about what this other person's gonna think, right? It's avoiding personal embarrassment, so we keep going with it. These are the things that Paul has in mind, and these things are alive and well within the church. I know one thing is for certain about my friend that morning, that, that, my friend that morning when he got up, knowing he was gonna go have lunch with, a, with his seminary professor, is he did not wake up that morning thinking, 
I know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to flat out lie to my seminary professor. Just That's not how these things typically work. Not saying that that's not there in the body, but these, it's the seeds of these things, which is a big theme for Paul, right? The seeds of all of this stuff, anger, malice, contempt, bitterness, they're all here. They're all here. And some of us, you know, the conditions have been made more ripe for those things to grow. We've nurtured those things, right? But that is what's being put off as we put on speaking truth to one another. A couple more examples of this, right? We might lie or misrepresent ourselves to one another because we want to be valued or respected. We fear men, another way of saying that. Um, We might offer our resume and maybe even embellish it a bit just because we want the respect from others. That's pseudos. Flattery, right? We might engage in flattery, but only think of it as being nice. When you compliment somebody or when you tell them, you're the smartest person I know, it sounds like a compliment, and, and, and maybe it is. But flattery is one of the most biggest forms of manipulation. We might be saying as much, but we bow to the altar of people-pleasing often in our exercising of flattery because we want others to like us. And the best way to get people to like you, what, is to be nice, is to compliment them. And it's not because you really think so, which is the falsehood of it, because you want the reputation that comes from being nice. Those seeds are here. Those seeds are in your heart, right? There's a reason Paul is starting with stop lying to the church in Ephesus, because people in the church in Ephesus are lying. Right? We can misrepresent others. We can go on with this. This is the part I'm talking about with sort of being practical, but I think it is important to dive in. We can misrepresent others. As one commentary points, the temptation to further one's perceived importance by presenting others in a way that devalues them, right? We might talk about this as being gossip. It means we can find ourselves spinning a story or a situation in a way that puts us operating, or sort of puts a favorable light on us, favorable light on us at the expense of others, but what's really happening, again, is operating out of fear, the fear of not being valued by others as we desire. So it's our perceived importance that is what, is what matters in the situation. But again, the seeds for this are all there. Truthful speech must replace lying and falsehood. Again, it's not enough to stop lying. It's not enough to sort of stop uh, exercising and, and, and being and engaging in pseudos. Right? It is to put on truth speaking, which is not just saying truthful things to another person about truth, but it's also being honest to them about yourself. All right, well, what's the resource? The love of Christ, which casts out all fear. Again, going back to 5.1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. All right, again, the resource is, this is your identity. This is your status already as God's children. We have his love, we have his approval, we have his respect, we have his friendship, but it doesn't mean that just because we have it, it's comfortable to us. One thing that, that, that I will say over and over about the new clothes, old, old clothes thing is putting on some of these new clothes can feel like this is, this, this is the most uncomfortable, this is not me, and I don't like it. I like, I like the old clothes. I like that old raggedy flannel. I'm gonna put that back on. It's more comfortable, Okay. So there isn't this, uh, necessarily this expectation that just because we're, we're new Christians that all of a sudden all these clothes just fit, tight, fit, fit perfectly or that we feel comfortable in them. 
And so this is part of the dance of, of we go back to our old habits, we go back to our old ways, and we forget, right, that this is who we are. And so the fear then that drives us to those things, the, that drives us to these places of comfort, right, instead of resting in and acknowledging the love that we have in Christ as his children. So we always come back again to resting in the truth of the gospel that God is for us. He becomes our resource for living this way because we are growing in our understanding of what it means for him to be our treasure. He then becomes more valuable than coming back to these old clothes, these old habits. And that takes different time for different people, okay? Okay, again, for Paul, it is not enough to simply cease speaking falsely or misrepresenting the facts in conversations or in private. Tax season is upon us. We must, be put, we must put on Christ in the way that we speak truthfully or the way that we represent ourselves to others. Uh, so that's the first characteristic. Truthful speech replaces lying and falsehood. Let's go to the second one here. Righteous anger replaces an anger that masters us. Righteous anger replaces an anger that masters us. So verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Paul is quoting Psalm 4.4 here. But as you notice, Paul didn't say never be angry. Might be the first thing that jumps out at you. He didn't say don't get angry. He says be angry and do not sin. So the point here for Paul is, one, it is impossible to not be angry and, or to get angry at times. But two, not all anger is bad. The anger of God, which is often referred to as a provoked or righteous anger because of who he is and who we are in our sinfulness, is a good example of that. And the reality is for Paul is that we actually share some of that DNA, some of that righteous anger DNA. It would be wrong in one sense for us as Christians to be indifferent about injustices that happen in our community or in the world, to not even be moved to any type of anger, level of anger, uh, when we see murder, theft, or anybody being taken advantage of in any way, right? And so there's an anger there that's actually good, right, and true, and it's a righteous anger. It's, an un it's a provoked anger. James will say this in chapter 1, 19 to 20, righteous anger comes from someone who is slow to anger. No, that's what I said. James, <laughs> James says this, verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. All right, so in contrast to righteous anger, Paul, then what is he talking about? He's talking about uh, not just anger for anger's sake, which is a part of this, but it's an anger uh, that doesn't ever entertain the, po the prospect of forgiveness. And when, when anger you know, doesn't entertain the prospect of forgiveness towards others, it festers, it stays. And that's what's deadly. Not just to your own soul, as we'll see, but to the body and the unity of the body as a whole. And this is where, he, where, he, where it leads him to say, don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? This is not, he doesn't mean that literally, um, it's a saying, don't, don't let time go by allowing this to fester, allowing this to stay in your hearts, going to bed at the end of the day and it's still there. Getting up the next morning, perhaps pushing whatever it is, you had some conversation with somebody that really made you angry um, or they did something and you just are, all right, I'm gonna push it away, but two or three days later it's coming back and it's just grinding on you. This is his admonishment here. Don't let it master you. 
Because the Bible knows something about us, and this gets to the second qualifier, that, that, that there's actually something going on maybe that we aren't even in tune to when we allow these things to linger in our own hearts. And that is, he says, it, it gives an opportunity for the devil. And that word opportunity is topon, which is really just space or room. You're creating an environment, a space for the, for the devil, Paul says, to come in and do whatever. Continue the festering, continue the temptation, continue more what Paul has in mind of driving a wedge in what is one, in the unity of the body. And we are given tools then, right, to go and deal with that anger, right, to go in, um, to meet with our brothers and sisters, to, to receive that forgiveness and offer that forgiveness. That's our calling. You have the resources of that. Where is it? It's back in verse 32, right, right before 5.1. You are to forgive others as what? As Christ has forgiven you. Right, so this preaching the gospel back to ourselves, like I, ugh, this is hard, but as hard as this is, I, I have to respond out of the reality that, that, that Christ has forgiven me. And we've done business with that already in chapters one to three. That becomes the resource for you then to move into the lives of others, seeking their forgiveness, but also, also asking seeking their forgiveness, but also offering your own forgiveness. Right? So that becomes the, the, the power. That becomes the resource for us. You've been forgiven. Now go forgive. Right? So the grace that we long for in that statement, the grace that we hold on to, we are no longer able or allowed to withhold that from other people. That's what Paul's saying. Now, how do we grow in, in, in righteous anger? Um, just briefly with that, because, you know, one, one of the statements we have around our household is, you know, you can be angry, but you can't be unkind. Because I don't want our girls thinking that being angry, right, is not, is, is, is wrong in and of itself. And a lot of times when anger shows up in the house, in and of itself, it feels like this is wrong. But oftentimes what's happened is somebody was playing with a Barbie doll and then somebody stole it. And, right, that's wrong. Now, being stolen and then somebody's swinging and hitting the other person because they stole it, that's wrong too. But if we go back to that, right, there, there's, a, there's a righteous anger in that child because injustice happened to them. So you're, you're right, that anger is good, but you're not allowed to be, anger, be angry and not unkind. You're allowed to be angry, but not, not unkind. And to sit there and wrestle with that, to figure out what that, how that boxes in my anger but also softens my heart, that I'm just not retaliating, retaliating towards one another, that I'm just sort of, you know, lashing out for the sake of anger's, you know, what, what it does. And I think as, as we think about that illustration, we, we grow in our understanding of what it means to be angry and to do not sin as children of God, what that ultimately looks like uh, uh, in us is that we begin to love the things that God loves more and more and hate the things that he hates. And God hates sin. And the question before us that Paul's given is, do you hate sin? And not hate it in a way that it brings shame and condemnation on you. That's not the gospel. That's, that's something else that you're telling yourself. But, that, but God is with you as, as your father, right? As, as, he, he has already pronounced you as, as his child and has given you the ability to say that this is wrong and, 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 and it's good for me to grow in whether it's personal sins that we have in our lives or whether it's things that are going on in the body, right? That we do that in a gracious way because we've been dealt with graciously. That's how we grow in this righteous anger, but we do it gently. 
Because we grow in our understanding and our knowledge of, of, of becoming more like our Father, of becoming imitators like Him, of loving what He loves but hating what He hates. I think the way that the Lord has worked out sin in my life, it's certainly through, through the lives of others, but, but, but instilling in me a hatred for the things that He hates. Instead of you know, licking that wound, so to speak, instead of feeling uh, pity for myself, instead of feeling shame that it brings upon me, that's not who God made me to be. And he is encouraged with me to come alongside of me, to come alongside you and to say, look, do you have the same righteous anger over the things that I have the same righteous anger over? Do you hate sin? Great, that is, that is a wonderful step. Move in that direction. Put it to death. Right? Take off this anger that is coming on here in the absence of forgiveness and put on a righteous anger of what? Knowing that you are forgiven. That's how you deal with yourself. And it's also how we deal with others, okay? All right, enough, to be, enough is being said there. Let's move on. Um, I could, could stay there probably the rest of the day. The resource there, though, is, is, is dipping into that endless well of forgiveness that we have in Christ that melts that anger, that, that gives us the ability to move forward. All right, the third one. So that's righteous anger replaces an anger that masters us. self and generosity replace stealing and theft. This is verse 28. Paul says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now here we are given rules for actions, not just thoughts and speech. So what verse 28 is saying is that the renewed person putting on the new self is a person who acts what now selflessly and generously. So first, notice Paul is speaking in the present tense here, meaning again that theft and stealing is currently happening in the church in Ephesus. It's not something of the past. It's not something that in some ways he's surprised of. Again, a reminder that Paul is saying these things, you know, because Christians are not immune to these things. But what's most interesting about the characteristic is the transformation it produces. Notice that? God takes thieves and he turns them into gracious givers. God takes the selfish and he makes them selfless. That's what we're looking for. Now, why does he do this? Well, two reasons. One, what is more like God than being someone who creates with your own handiwork, right, for others to enjoy? A massive characteristic of human beings made in the image of God is that we too become agents of self-giving, selfless acts of love. So here, clearly, it is not good enough for Christians to not steal, which is rooted in the Eighth Commandment, you must also put something out. You must also work. You must also produce in a way that what benefits others, that, that gets you thinking about what other people uh, might want or desire, right? Thinking about someone else other than yourself. This is what is happening to Christians by the Spirit's work in us. Second, though, believers may make this transition because they have treasure. And this is, this is again, application for seeing Christ as our treasure Believers make this transition from being selfless, from being, uh, being thieves, to being generous givers because they know they have treasure. And this, uh, this again comes back, this is your resource. What is your treasure, right? It's Christ, right? What, what, what do you have that he hasn't given you already? What do you have at home that isn't going to rot, that isn't going to rust, that he hasn't given you that's going to last for eternity? Now, as soon as I say that, which brings up money and things and resources, right, this is where the old clothes feel a little more comfortable. I get it. Trusting that I do have everything in Christ 
that is a hard outfit to put on sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes I want some of these things over here or whatever it is, you know. But this is what he means. When we continue to come back to the gospel and rest in the gospel of Christ and, and see him more and more as our treasure, it, it does something to our hearts that says, I, I no longer need to steal for the things that, uh, that are of value or the things that I think that will, that will make me happy. I have it, and this is what turns us into generous givers. It turns us into selfless people within the body of Christ. That's your resource. All right, that's the third one, selflessness and generosity. You replace, replace stealing or theft. Lastly here, a language that builds up replaces language that tears down. Verse 29 to 30, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is as good for building up and as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who, who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the, the day, for the day of redemption. Now, similar to verse 25, Paul focuses on the words that we will say, the things that will come out of our mouths. The word here for corrupting or foul language, uh, Jamie put it into the confession as sapros or describes rotten fruit or plants. It's used in the way to describe something that is no longer fit for use. All right, now what types of words then would have no use? What does Paul have in mind? And we can tell this as we keep on going when he says put on, and that is put on language that is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The sapros, or the, the corrupting talk that he's talking about, is that which destroys or tears down. Again, disrupts the unity of the church. It's the opposite of what builds up. So this requires wisdom and knowledge of those in the body. Notice when Paul says, as fits the occasion. I had to think about this for a little bit, but he's... What is he doing? Well, he's preventing us from saying, okay, Ryan, give me the list of words that, that I need to just make sure I don't use that, that tear down, right? Is it all the cuss words? Like, what is it, you know? And he doesn't do that because he doesn't want us to make, become robots with this. He's actually saying, you've got to know your people and you've got to know each other. Like, what is it that this person needs to hear that is building them up, that is not destroying them? Because something that I might say to one person that does build up might destroy another, so there isn't this list that we're looking for, which, which, which means that, that, again, coming back to these characteristics being relational, this, this requires knowledge of one another. It requires you being in each other's lives, that you might have a word for them. And this is the best part. It's not just a word, right? It's truth. It's grace, that it may be grace to those who hear it. And another word for that is that it might be life-giving. You are to be life-giving to each other. Is that your experience in the church? Don't answer that. Like, we hear this stuff and we're thinking, Paul, are you, are you in, this, in the church at all? <laughs> Do you know how hard it is in here? And I think we can all say, yeah, Paul knows. Paul knows. And this is where we get, we, in some ways, our sort of, we meet our end. Because, I mean, in all the ways that I want to be life-giving to you, I mean, I have the words of truth to give to you, but then there's, there's just our relationship that's going to be 
frustrated at times. You're going to frustrate each other. And we come to our end. And, and, and it's in a sense that Paul is saying, look, this is where you then are reminded of the endless resource that you have. Because what you're saying, what you're recognizing in that moment is, is you're thinking, I can't be changed to go and be life-giving to the brothers and sisters that God has brought me. But you can. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You are. You are, right? This is how we change. This is how we grow. We're to commit to being those who in the right occasion, right, as we understand each other's circumstances and situations, we give words of grace, life-giving words, and building each other up. That's the resource. And then as you notice here, Paul adds in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Um, this, this in turn, in, in many ways, is also another indication of the resource that we have in Christ, right? The fact that we have the Holy Spirit. And just to kind of clarify what this means, you know, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? It's, it's, it is sort of unclear why Paul drops this statement here. Uh, but the concept of grieving the Holy Spirit comes to us in Isaiah 63, 7, 10. If you go and read that, you'll, you'll, you'll realize what he's talking about is that you know, the, probably the, the biggest example is when, when God acts in his kindness to, to rescue his people, just as he did to Israel, rescuing them from Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, they get to the shoreline. It is the biggest act of redemption in the Old Testament. It's what everybody in the Old Testament points back to for God's kindness and his redemption to his people. What, is, what, is, what, is, what happens with Israel as they get to that shoreline? They grumble, they complain. They want to go back and be slaves. And you read that today and you're thinking, this is ridiculous. How does God even stand it with these people? But then you kind of realize, oh, it's in here too. But that's what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. On the other end of God's redemption, right, we are calling back to him, grumbling, complaining, causing contempt and, 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 and acts of malice and bitterness towards his people. What does this have to do with our passage? And really, everything that Paul is talking about here, these characteristics of the new self, the church being one, walking in light of your calling, right? It is all a product of the great salvation that God has won for you in Jesus Christ. And so there is a bit of grieving the spirit that is, that is in you, that is person. He's a person. Can't grieve. Only people grieve. Right, so there is an aspect of grieving God after this wonderful salvation that he's won from you, but there's something actually interesting going on here. He's actually talking about grieving the Holy Spirit in the way that you treat one another. Right, in the way that you respond to one another, in the way that your anger goes off to one another, in the way that your bitterness uh, is couched to, you know, towards another, in the way that you hold back forgiveness from another. And part of this is because what he's, he's trying to get you to see is, is that's my body. And it's not just my, it's, it's, it's the body that I died for. I have invested, you have to look at each other and say, I have in, Jesus has invested his own life and death for that person. That'll change the way you, you think about other people. And when we respond to to, to, to the investment that Christ has made in all of us, when we respond to each other in those ways, bear in mind, forgiveness is always available, but when we hold on to those things, when we work in, in bitterness and malice and, all, and contempt and all the things that he reads there, we are grieving the very one who said, this person is so valuable to me, I died for them. Now, he doesn't do this to condemn us. 
He does it to arrest us. I need to make that qualification. Your grieving the Holy Spirit is not, is not this sort of, would I lose the Holy Spirit? No, no, no. It's there to get you to stop. It's there to arrest you. It's not to condemn us. It is to stop the progression of our behavior towards one another or, 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 or you know, to begin to soften us, to know that there's somebody here who has <laughs> applied the very salvation that we did not deserve in the first place, who is telling you this grieves me when you treat each other this way. And what God wants us to do is just as he wanted for Israel is for us to not make peace then with any bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, or malice towards God, but also towards his body in light of his great salvation for you in Christ. And I think this brings us to just the one application I have for you. And all of this stuff, it lands there, right? Do not make peace peace with your sin. And the question, the question that this presents is, what are you making peace with? What are you making peace with that could be grieving the Holy Spirit because of the way that it is creating this unity among one another? What are you making peace with, right, that you're not uh, you know, dealing with in your own life that is causing division, that is causing you to, to act in any one of these ways towards other people, even in the ways that you think about them, right? right? The, the anger you have, right, and the smile you give is both, right, the wrong anger and the lie. <laughs> and is it just the avoidance of conflict that, that causes us to move on in this way? Don't make peace with your sin. And one of the diagnostics for this, and this is great, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm, this is, somebody gave this to me, and I've, I use it, and I'm offering it to you, is, is, is how do I know if I'm making peace with my sin here? You know, any one of these things. And this is one of the ways that it kind of comes out, especially in, maybe especially in Christians, I don't know, but you'll talk to somebody, and, and, and um, you know, maybe, maybe they'll kind of call out something in you, or they'll call out something in me, or and, I'll, and I'll just say to them, you know, sorry, but that's just who I am. You ever said that? Sorry, that's just how I was raised. Use that one a lot. And really what this is saying is one, I'm not sorry, and two, I'm not changing. Which couldn't be more grievous to the Holy Spirit who what? This is not who you are anymore. That's an old self thing. You are a new creation. And you can change. Another one that's common among Christian circles is the I know refrain. I know, I know. You sit down across the table with some, somebody and you say, Ryan, you know, I think, I think you're really pushing it here. Seems like you might be a workaholic. I know, I know, I know. Ryan, it seems like you only have negative things to say about people. I, I know. And, and one of the things that, why this is so prevalent in Christian circles is because it's a halfway truth. Like it tells you like, hey, I'm aware of my sin. Thanks for pointing it out, but I, I'm aware of it. You're making peace with it. Don't make peace with the things not only that God hates, but that's not who you are. That's not who you are. 
Simply put, there is no place for any of these behaviors as Paul goes through here within the body of Christ. Put them to death. Do not make peace with them in your heart, for this is not how you learned Christ. Instead, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Well, in summary, truthful speech replaces lying and falsehood. Righteous anger replaces an anger that masters us. Selflessness and generosity replace stealing and theft. Language that builds up replaces language that tears down. There's some more. But I'll just leave you with that. There's, there's no greater fragrance to the Lord than one whose words are grace to one another, are life-giving to his people. You have this resource be imitators of God as his beloved children, as those who have been forgiven and have tasted the kindness of God in Jesus Christ. I, I, throughout this whole week, I'm just reminded, and I'll, I'll leave you with this, I promise. St. Augustine's conversion, right? He talks about his conversion. He was converted um, by Ambrose of Milan. And, and as he talks about his relationship, Ambrose befriended him as a pagan um, and if you know anything about the background of the Augustine, just a pagan of all pagans. And, you know, if I wasn't a Christian, I, I think I would aspire to be uh, like him. And he just lived it up, right? Whatever desire came to his mind. But God rescued him out of that. Um, and he became one of the fathers of the church. But as he talks about his conversion, he talks about how Ambrose, you know, invited him to come to church. And he did that and sat there and it was great and heard the word and heard, heard the truth of the word. And, and that certainly did not return void. But here's what, here's what, here's what St. Augustine says about this. He says, it wasn't Ambrose's great teaching. I expected that in the church. It was that he was kind. And, and one of the things that Augustine is alluding to here is, is that he, while he expected great teaching and all the things that happened in the church, what he didn't expect was kindness from the church. And we would go on and talk about it because The reason for that is because he doesn't expect God to be kind to him. And in that way, Ambrose was an amazing reflection, a fragrant offering, if you will, of who the Lord really is. And the Lord blessed that. Here's my question. Do you know that kindness this morning? Do you know the kindness of God in Jesus Christ? Is that the treasure your heart cannot do without? Because if you know that kindness, if you know that forgiveness that you have, if you know that gospel, if he is your treasure, that is not just a resource. That is an endless amount. It is the deepest of wells of which to pull from all of the grace and mercy for you to move in this way that Paul gives us for you to take off, but also put on this person that you are, that Jesus has made you. Who are you? You are his beloved. You are his beloved. May that be our resource. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are the friend of sinners, the lover of our soul. As we have sung this morning, that is a resource with no 
and help us, help us to drink deep of those waters. Help us to feed on the truth, the bread of life that reminds us of those things. And not just to do it for ourselves, but to do it because for, for, for each other, but to do it because this is, this is your body whom you love, whom you died for. Would we see it as much? And we desire more and more to, 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 to pull from the resources of the gospel that remind us over and over of our forgiveness that we may become changed people, that we may become the people that we are in Christ. Do that for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.